Wagner Ministries International podcast. As you listen to this message, our prayer is that you would be motivated and empowered to follow Christ and lead others to Him. Enjoy. To the Wagner Ministries International podcast today. It's great to have you listening to us. Last week we started a series of podcasts on evangelist Joshua Wagner's book, Go, which is a book about the Great Commission. And this week, we are going to be moving further along into the content of that book and, and uh, what the, really what the Bible has to say about those specific Great Commissions. And that's kind of what we introduced last week, isn't it, Josh? Yeah, last week we talked about how um, through the use of repetition, God made clear the importance of the Great Commission by recording it five different different books by four different authors. And um, clearly it shows the importance that Jesus placed on the Great Commission. And so what we wanted to do today is actually walk through those Great Commissions and just point out some insights. Each of them are basically saying the same thing, but they're saying it from different angles, uh, outlining different uh, points, and they are all so, so good. And so uh, we're just going to walk through them today, Dad, and just talk about um, what insights we see in the words of Jesus. So the first one, we'll go chronologically, is in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. The Bible says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What a powerful um, closing to the book of Matthew. And Dad, when you look at that Great Commission, what's something maybe that stands out to you? I think the thing that stands out for me... Uh, to me, Josh, is the make disciples part of that, uh, that great commission. Here's the way I like to put it. Uh, obviously, Jesus is saying that we need to make disciples, not just decisions. Mm -hmm. But in order to become a disciple, you first have to have made a decision for Christ at right. some point in your own life. Mm -hmm. You have to make the faith of your parents or the faith of your family or the faith of your friends or church, your very own. And, you know, God has no grandchildren. God has lots of children, but no grandchildren. Each person is going to end up standing before the judgment throne of God on their own. You need to have a personal saving relationship with Jesus on your own. And uh, then, so that is where the, you know, the hand-in-hand the -hand nature of evangelists and pastors comes into play it's like the evangelists especially no uh, anointed by the holy spirit to save souls and win souls in abundance and so when we're doing that well then when we're helping lots of people make decisions for christ then we can hand the responsibility of the discipleship aspect of it in large parts to the local churches and the local church pastors. And that's where we work hand in hand with uh, those groups of people at every one of our crusades. So I think that for me is the, the real crux of it is yes, things don't end after making a decision. Jesus wants them to become fully devoted followers of him, but it starts with the decision. And that's where 
people like us come in and where our crusades come in, where many, many people at, at once, like in Acts chapter 2, you know, at the crusade there that Peter had on Pentecost Day, where thousands of people are brought to the Lord. That's where, where things come into play there. So we work hand in hand with the pastors. That's what I think about this verse. Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. And there is so much that we could share about this. I, I know I preach a sermon um, at our pastor's conferences sometimes on these three verses. And I mean, it takes me an hour and a half. Like, we could go all day talking about this. Um, I think what you said is really good about the importance of making a decision and that that leads to discipleship. One of the things that's cool that stands out to me is Jesus sort of gives a two-pronged approach to what it looks like to being made into a disciple. So the first thing he says is that, all right, so we're to make disciples, and the, the first thing basically you're to do with a disciple is you baptize them. And this is something that we always emphasize at our crusades, that yeah. when people get saved, they need to be baptized. Because baptism is an outward sign of an inward work. It is a demonstration publicly of what Jesus has done inside of the believer. And while in the North America we're not experiencing persecution like they do in other parts of the world, there are many who do, even through baptism, experience persecution. In fact, I was doing a crusade back in January in a very hostile nation, uh, part of uh, India, and the pastor was telling me, like, we actually have to wait to baptize all of these new believers until we can all go, like, about 500 of us together. Wow. Because when we go in small groups and baptize, the militant Hindus— they come where we're doing this, they see what's happening, and they begin to, to hurt them. They begin to persecute them. But when there's a group of 500, that's too large of a group for them to do anything. So baptism is so important. You know, Jesus was baptized. Of course. And if Jesus was baptized, how much more do we need to be baptized? And yeah. there was, it was a, uh, something that we see in the book of Acts is when these new believers get saved, whether it be Peter preaching on Pentecost Sunday or whether it be the Philippi, the Ethiopian eunuch with yeah. Philip the evangelist, right. whether it be Cornelius' household. Yeah. Um, when these people get saved, they were always baptized. Mm -hmm. And so we want to do that as well. And that's why actually for 20 years now of doing crusades, not only have we been keeping track of how many people get saved at our crusades, mm -hmm. but how many people within a year afterwards of those same people who made decisions also get baptized oh, by their yeah. local church pastors. Yeah. And this is a way for us to sort of um, catalog, not just decisions, but disciples. Absolutely. Another thing here is he says to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What that, of course, is, it is showing the Trinitarian theology of Christianity. Jesus is saying, hey, we don't baptize just in the name of the Father like the Jehovah's Witnesses might wow. say. Or we don't just baptize, you know, in, um, in, in, in a way that, you know, sort of for, forbids or forgets about the Holy Spirit, yeah. um, as many denominations, even with Christianity, may be apt to do. But Jesus said, we baptize in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, creating a co-equality uh, among the Godhead. And then the last thing Jesus says is he says, not only baptize them, but teach them to obey the command right. Now that's, while baptism is a one-time event, Teaching someone about all the things of Jesus is a lifetime event. And it shows that baptism is like that first initiation, sort of. But then the teaching is something that is to be, to be done for the rest of their lives. Amen. That they, you are to learn about Jesus. All of us are. We can never know enough about Jesus. We can never study the Word of God enough. And so um, I think that it's just so powerful to observe 
what Jesus says there in, in the Matthew Great Commission. Again, so much more you could say about it, uh, but we do want to hit all five of these Great Commissions. And what's cool about this next one, Dad, is Mark's Great Commission is the most developed. Yes. It is the longest, even mm-hmm. though it's in the shortest gospel. Yeah. And, um, and it speaks to some really cool and fun um, aspects of what it means to fulfill the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read this, and then I'll let you um, you know, share your insight. Uh, Mark chapter 16, verses 15, Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. I love this great commission. Of course, I love all five of them that we're going to look at today, but this is my favorite one because it's the longest, and like you said, it contains a lot of uh, powerful statements about what's going to happen when we go out into all the world. And that's the first key thing, I think, that I want to look at as we look at this one. It says, these signs will accompany, some of your uh, Bibles will say, follow those who believe. <laughs> and, you know, that's that's the thing, is that as we go out in faith and we're preaching the gospel and we're helping people get saved uh, and to believe and be baptized, then God's going to confirm that word by these signs that follow. And so then he talks about, you know, what that's going to be. Well, they're going to drive out demons. Okay, well, we see that in our crusades uh, many times. Mm-hmm. When demon-possessed people will come to us or come on stage even, and, and they leave with the demons gone because Jesus mm-hmm. casts them out. They'll speak in new tongues. It's still amazing to me that in this 21st century, people st- some people still have problems. Some Christians still have problems with the gift of tongues, and it's Shocking to me because Jesus really um, lifts up that gift, and, and Paul really does too. Yes, there are some certainly ways it, sh- they sh- it should be used properly in the church, but you know, even here, uh, speaking in tongues is one of those things that Jesus says is going to be a sign to uh, unbelievers that Jesus uh, is Lord. And so then it says they'll pick up their snakes with their hands. You know, if we had, I preach a sermon on this uh, Great Commission myself, and I include uh, stories and examples from our ministry about some of these things, you know, literally happening in in my life, mm-hmm. and and uh, I'm not going to get into that specifically here. Maybe sometime later, but uh, yes, I mean, he's saying that that you know, as hindrances come, as the devil throws things in our way as we minister, God's going to be supernaturally protective of us. And it says when they drink deadly poison, it won't hurt them at all. Again, we're not going to test the Lord. It's not like you and I are going to go into the streets and ask people to bring cobras to us to have them bite us and see Jesus save us. But we do realize that if we're going along ministering, you know, in the natural, normal way of life, Jesus is going to give supernatural protection to us. And we've seen that so many times, supernatural health during these crusades. We're not going up to people and saying, here, give us a glass of poison so we can drink it. Obviously not. That would be putting the Lord to the test. But we are mindful of the fact that Jesus... Uh, is supernaturally protecting us mm-hmm. on these trips. And then it says they'll place their hand on those sick people, they'll get well. Well, 
Of course, we've seen literally thousands of people cross the stage at our crusades testifying to some type of illness or disease or ailment, infirmity that Jesus has healed them of dramatically, miraculously, most of the times instantaneously at the crusade meetings. So again, we can just, this is one of those passages that's just so exciting because it's like, he's saying this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And as we go out in faith, it does happen. Mm -hmm. And these things started happening for me uh, on our, my very first crusade in March of 2000, 20 years ago, over 20 years ago now. And they just haven't stopped because that's, that's Jesus' word in action. Yeah, it's so true and so important. Um, you know, something here that I love is is uh, Jesus, you know, the reason why we want to go, of course, is because these people are lost. They're lost. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, there's different people who have different beliefs about um, philosophies within Christianity. And, well, what about people maybe if you don't tell them, maybe they have a chance to go to heaven. Well, look what Jesus says right here in Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Right. Jesus says it very clearly. If you don't believe in him and yeah. in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're condemned. Yeah. Jesus said similar things to Nicodemus in John 3. He says, you stand condemned already yeah. if you don't have the light. Yeah. And, um, and then some people, you know, as we mentioned in the Matthew text, Baptism is so important. Yeah. Some people, unfortunately, though, think that baptism is actually required for salvation. There you go. And That's this right. is a very helpful verse, you know, because Jesus does say, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But notice, it doesn't say, but whoever believes and is not baptized right. will be condemned. That's he right. says, no, no, no. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. The belief part of salvation is the necessity, right. not the baptism part. Right. So even that... You know, person that is on their deathbed that maybe has never been saved, if you lead them to the Lord, don't feel like, oh, I need to baptize them or they're not going to heaven. Think about the thief on the cross next to go. Jesus. He wasn't example. baptized, but Jesus gave him the assurance he'd be with him in heaven. So um, it's really important to see this, that we're not diminishing baptism. We just spent last the last text talking about its importance, but we also don't want to make it seem like um, you know, God doesn't make it hard for people to go to heaven. That's right. He wants everyone to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so if you put your faith in Jesus, that's all that's required. And, um, and that's why we, we, we need to fulfill this great commission. And there's such a, uh, a wonderful assistance when it comes to being able to preach the gospel, when you have all of these promises about how God's going to protect us and he's going to do miraculous things uh, through us. Last thing I'll say there is I love that last statement Jesus makes. They will place their hands on sick people and they mm -hmm. will get well. Yeah. There's no doubt in Jesus's mind that when yeah. you put your hands on sick people as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they will be healed. And we see that yeah. in the ministry of Jesus. Nobody who ever came to Jesus asking to be healed by him ever left a, left uh, still sick. Absolutely. Every person always received their miracles. And we believe that the same Jesus that did that 2,000 years ago is the Jesus who lives inside of us. Yeah. Um, the, the next uh, Great Commission is actually um, probably the least well-known um, Great Commission, and maybe you may even say um, is the, um, is the uh, sort of smallest Great Commission. Um, we'll sort of start with it up in verse, Luke 24, verse 46. It says, Jesus told the disciples, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. 
and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So Jesus there is giving a bit of a background. And then verse 48 is actually the Great Commission. And he says, you are witnesses of these things. So he is he's saying, hey, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that brought about the forgiveness of sins through repentance, that stuff, that message is something you are witnesses of. Dad, anything you'd like to share about that? On that great commission, you know, the word witnesses really sticks out to me. A lot of times when we think about a witness, we think about seeing something with our eyes. And yes, we do witness things with our eyes. But there's another aspect to being a witness that Jesus is talking about here. And it's that the way that we use the word witness as a person in court who's actually testifying. In other words, when you call a witness to uh, the courtroom and have them take a stand, they're not just going to sit there having, witness, having seen something with their eyes and just sit there for, you know, 10 minutes, half mm -hmm. an hour, mm -hmm. uh, listening to other people talk. No, they're in the stand because they've seen something. Now they have something to say. That's right. Because they've experienced something of relevance in that courtroom, now they're going to talk. Yeah. They're going to talk to, the, to everyone gathered there who can hear their voice about what they've experienced. And that's what makes a witness um, a Christian witness. Mm -hmm. Not only have we been born again, we've experienced Jesus. We have some, a testimony to tell. Mm -hmm. that, the point is that not only have we seen it, we also have something to say about it. Mm -hmm. And so these people who are going out and preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations that Jesus is talking about in Luke 24, he says, you're going to be witnesses. You're going to, you've experienced me. You've spent time with me. You have a story. Now it's time to tell it. And so a witness is someone who's not only experienced Jesus and is born again and yep. believes in Christ and is saved. There's someone who goes out like that person in the witness stand in a courtroom and tells everyone who's listening exactly what their experience is, in this case, exactly who Jesus is, Amen. what he's done, in an attempt to persuade people to come to Jesus themselves and be saved. Man, that's such a good revelation, Dad. And, you know, one of the cool things about this that stands out to me is the, the Greek word there for witness is the word martyreo, which is where we actually get our word martyr. Mm -hmm. And it, it also speaks to the fact, you know, most of us, especially if you're listening and you're from North America, we never really uh, are having to worry about becoming a martyr for Jesus, that we're going to be killed for our faith. But these disciples who were hearing the, the commission of Christ, they were. And, and all but the Apostle John ended up being a martyr for Christ. And it wasn't for lack of trying with John either. Mm -hmm. um, and so... And so Jesus is also saying, like, you are witnesses of these things, obviously, as you just mentioned, with your words. But um, in addition to that, not only were they witnesses with their words, they ultimately paid for it even with their lives. Yeah. Their, their, and their, yet their death was a type of witness. Uh, the Bible, or um, a phrase that's gone around in Christendom, is that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That's true. And all throughout history, we can see examples where people who gave their lives for the cause of Christ actually ended up in their death bringing about salvation to many. Amen. And so um, 
I think that when we talk about being part of the Great Commission, we need to also have that in mind. You know, while we do not expect to die, we hope not to die for our faith. Um, we need to be prepared to die for our faith. That's and, right. And that's actually not asking too much because Jesus died for us. Mm -hmm. And so if we are ever asked to die for him, we are not doing anything that he did not already do for us. And even more so since our death would just be physical, his death that he purchased for us purchased life, not just in this life, but in the next one. Mm -hmm. So anyways, just a powerful passage there in Luke chapter 24. Um, the, the fourth Great Commission is found in John chapter 20, where Jesus says in verses 21, or it says in verse 21, uh, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Well, this is the shortest uh, <clears throat> Great Commission. Really, It's only a one verse long, and it's a short verse at that. But it's so powerful, because... The key thing for me in this verse, Josh, is where it said, where Jesus says, as the Father has sent me. And he says, so I'm sending you. Well, let's ask ourselves, how did the Father send Jesus? Right. Well, Jesus was comfortable in heaven, mm -hmm. seated at the right hand of the Father. Mm -hmm. uh, he was surrounded by people who loved him, by the angels who uh, worshipped and adored him, uh, by the other members of the Trinity. He was in an environment that was absolutely uh, comfortable. Comfortable. Yeah. But guess what? God tapped him on the shoulder one day about 2,000 years ago and said, Son, it's time. You knew yeah. this day was coming and yeah. now it's time. Yeah. And Jesus uh, quickly, obediently came to earth. Mm -hmm. And he stepped into an environment as he stepped out of heaven that was completely foreign and alien to him. It was completely uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It was completely something that he had no uh, experience with. Right. It was the opposite of comfort. Yep. Uh, he went into an environment where people did not worship him, mm -hmm. most of them. Uh, many people reviled him. They ended up hating him, mm -hmm. uh, ultimately killing him, and before that, abusing his body in a way that no human being had ever been abused before. Sure. And yet all he had done was love them. And so he went into a foreign environment, a place of great discomfort from a place of perfect comfort. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really see um, Jesus saying here for us, is that as believers, we need to be ready to go into a place of discomfort from our comfort zones. Yeah. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be on the other side of the planet because there are lots of of parts of our world, even around where we live, yes. where you can drive a few miles or a few kilometers, and suddenly you're in a part of your city or your province or your state that is very different from you in terms of uh, diversity, in terms of socioeconomic, uh, racial diversity, etc., uh, even religious and spiritual diversity. So, I mean, you can go into those different demographic places, but wherever you go, we can't shy away from those places. Jesus didn't shy away from us. He went to the most alien and foreign soil, so to speak, and he, uh, and he lived, lived among us. Yeah. And we have to do the same thing. Who is going to reach those people if we don't? That's, That's a good. good question for us to ask. We need to be prepared to get, um, you know, to get out of our comfort zones and go to the people who need Jesus the most, mm. just like he did for us. 
I remember the late evangelist Reinhard Bonnke, who's had such a big influence on all of us uh, evangelists who live in our generation today. And he said this, he said, you know, Jesus is able to rescue you from the deepest pit. Yeah. But he's not going to pull you out of your easy chair. Mm. And what he meant by that is uh, Jesus is the great God of deliverance. When we get in trouble in ministry situations, God is going to deliver us powerfully, we believe, and, and he does. But you know what? The one thing that he's not going to do is force us to leave our comfort zones. Sure. That becomes a decision that we have to make. Yep. And we, uh, and we want to make that decision. We're eager to make that decision. We can rest and relax and comfort in heaven forever, Josh. But while we have our years down here, let's make the most of them and go to the people who need Jesus most. Man, that's so good. Um, you know, one of the things that's cool about this one is Jesus begins this great commission here by saying, peace be with you. And I think a lot of people get very uh, concerned, very nervous about the Great Commission, sharing the gospel with others, uh, particularly, like you said, as, as you leave the comforts that you are familiar with to go to a place that is uncomfortable. People get very nervous by that. And yet what we can have is the assurance that we do not do so alone because it is the peace of God that God gives us Hallelujah. to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And remember what Paul says about the peace of God. The peace of God passes all understanding. Other people may not understand why you have peace to go to that country, to go to that neighborhood, to share with those people, because they would be nervous. They are nervous in the natural. But you have to remember, the peace doesn't follow natural logic or natural understanding. It passes all understanding because it's God's peace, even in the midst of maybe what may seem to be a difficult situation. So what a great promise from Jesus that we have his peace as we are acting out in obedience to the Great Commission. The final Great Commission we're going to look at is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus uh, is about to go up to heaven, as in all of these instances. He's about to ascend to the Father. And he says in verse number 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Dad, what stands out to you from this one? I love so much preaching on this verse, Josh. These are the, literally the very last words Jesus speaks just before he ascends to heaven. And there's so many directions I could go on this, but I'm going to just focus today on that word power. That word power is uh, the Greek word that comes that we get the word dynamite from. Yes. It's like when the Holy Spirit comes on, came on the disciples at Pentecost, it transformed them. And you think about what the disciples were like before Pentecost. They were literally, the Bible says, hiding out behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. Uh -huh. All right? They were, they were trembling cowards, you might say, before the Holy Spirit filled them up. But when the Holy Spirit came and filled them up, uh, the, the New Testament, the book of Acts, calls that the baptism of the Holy Spirit something transformational happened in their in their lives. Mm. They became totally bold and courageous. Mm -hmm. They became, instead of being uh, cowardly like mice, they became bold like lions. Amen. And that is a transformation that happens in us today when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know that uh, in many Christian circles and 
And we, of course, you know, we love, as I said before, we love the, the gift of tongues and we, we pray in tongues regularly. But a lot of times people equate, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. Right. And that's by and large true in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. But the thing that is really, really obvious to me about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does is it's not just giving the gift of tongues. Mm -hmm. You know what it is? It's releasing in people the Holy Spirit's power, yep. the Holy Spirit's dynamite uh, that makes us bold and courageous to be witnesses. That's right. And it just transforms our character. That's why the baptism of the Holy Spirit to me is so important is because it changes and transforms people from being um, quiet Christians to being vocal, outgoing bold, world-changing Christians, Amen. exactly what Jesus did uh, did with the 12 apostles, exactly what he wants to do with us today. Yeah. So I want to encourage you today to ask for the Holy Spirit to release his power in you today the way he did back uh, with the disciples back then. That's so true, so important. And um, what I think is cool from this passage here is Jesus says to the disciples, you know, when you receive this power, you'll be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, some people, they get overwhelmed. Oh, if I start obeying the Great Commission, then God's going to move me from where I am, and I've got to go live in a hut in Africa. Hmm. Listen, Jesus, even with his own disciples, didn't ask them to do that. Right. He said, start where you're comfortable or, or where you're used to, where you speak the language, where you know the culture. You start in Jerusalem. That was their hometown. That's right. You don't have to go very far in order to start fulfilling the Great Commission. Right. You, you can start right where you are, right where you live. Go to Walmart. And yet, don't stop in Jerusalem. He says then, once you start to be faithful in Jerusalem, then go to Judea. Judea is the, is the state that Jerusalem was in, the region. And then he says, then you go to Samaria. Samaria was the next, next region over. So here we live in Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the United States. It'd be like Jesus said, you start in Tulsa. Then you go to Oklahoma, then you go to Texas, and then to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is taking this sort of step-by-step -step approach. You start where you live, and the principle of the scripture is when you become faithful in little, then God will make you faithful in much. You know, I Amen. tell people, you can't expect God to send you to the nations if you're not going to be faithful in your neighborhood. And right. so you need to be faithful in the little that God started you in, start in your Jerusalem, and then... As you prove yourself and as you are, you know, honing those great commission skills, then God's going to open up more doors of opportunity to speak in other places to reach more people. And so we start where we live, but we never stay there. Jesus didn't say just stay in Jerusalem. Ultimately, the goal is to go to the ends of the earth. We want right. to take the gospel to the places that need it the most and where the gospel has not yet penetrated. And that is exactly why we do what we do here at Wagner Ministers International. We take this great commission very seriously, yeah. and we take the words of Jesus very literally, that we are to start here, but we're never to end here. We want to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, to go into all creation, to preach this gospel, to make disciples of all nations. This is a global commission. It is not just a local one. And so we um, we can see here clearly the words of Jesus and how important they are for us. And we pray that as you've been listening and walking through these uh, five passages, that your heart would just be burdened for the lost and you would feel encouraged to preach and fulfill this gospel, uh, preach this gospel and fulfill this great commission, 
that Jesus has uh, called us all to do. So thank you so much for listening today. We pray that this message will have been a blessing and edifying to you. Thank you and God bless. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by today's message. For more information regarding Wagner Ministries International, go to wagnerministries.org. And if you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at wagnerministries.org. God bless. Thank you.